Hey, and thanks for tuning in to the Father's House podcast. The Father's House exists to see people discover life in Jesus. We hope that today's message brings you fresh life and renewed hope as you listen. Enjoy. Okay, okay. You guys are too much. Sit down, you're making me uncomfortable. Before we get started, um, is it cool for you guys if I take two minutes to, uh, to honor some people? Is that all right? Cool. I was going to do it either way, but I just, you know, it was the polite thing to ask. Um, before we get started, I want to honor my wife. She's not in the service. She was at the last service. But so if you see her, if you know her, uh, you can honor her in spirit and also in person when you see her next weekend. But if it was not for her, because uh, we have a, a, a two-year-old son. Any parents of a two-year-old in here? Where you at? Any? Nobody? Oh, right. Oh, right in front of me. Yeah. Sean up here. We we're in the trenches. All right. Of parenthood. Those two-year-olds, man, it's, it's, it's a little crazy. It's a little crazy. So um, because she's amazing, because she's brilliant, she gave me the margin to be able to prep, uh, prepare, and pray. Uh, so uh, I just want to, I know she's not here. She might be in the lobby or in the family room. Can we just take a moment as the church and just honor her? Can we give it up for my wife? I appreciate her so much. She's incredible, and I would not be able to do this if it wasn't for her. So if you get anything good out of this sermon, don't thank me. You can just thank my wife. And uh, if you don't like anything that's said in this sermon, you can email Tim at TFH. Just kidding. I had to do that because Tim always throws out my email a lot. So I've only gotten a few. It's okay. I'm not hurt. But the second group of people I want to honor is our incredible pastors. Man, guys, yeah. We are significantly blessed. And look, I'm not up here saying this, honoring them just because they pay me. That's not part of it. Every time I have to prepare content like this and um, dig into the word, I'm reminded of the weight and the responsibility and the authority that this platform uh, carries. And our pastors do it week in and week out with so much grace and excellence and poise. And we are exceedingly blessed as a church. So I know Pastor Tim's not here, but can we honor Pastor Robin and Pastor Tim as the lead pastors of this house, man. We thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you have done and all that you guys are doing behind the scenes. I appreciate you. Okay, so we are going to start this service a little differently than normal. In fact, Carlos, go ahead and start tickling the ivories for me. That'll make me sound way more spiritual than I actually am. But um, in a moment, Carlos is gonna sing and the lights are gonna come down. It's okay, just let it happen. And the reason for that is because I wanna take a look at this moment that happens in Acts 16. Uh, And I I don't wanna just read about this moment. I don't don't wanna just like glaze through it. I, I want us to as best as we can to be immersed in what takes place because I believe there's something so significant and beautiful that happens in this moment. And so Acts 16, uh, this is Luke narrating. He's with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They're in Philippi. And in verse 16, he says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day. And so Paul got so exasperated that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. 
Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. And the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Scripture says that they were in the inner dungeon, which would have been underground, would have been this cavernous place, would have been hot and humid. It would have felt like the air had already been breathed. Paul and Silas are bloody and bruised and beaten. They have clamps on their legs, irritating their skin every single time they move. There's other prisoners around them that probably haven't bathed. The stench in that room would have been unbearable. People grumbling and complaining and trying to get what little rest that they can afford in such an uncomfortable environment. And yet Paul and Silas have this response that defies logic undermines their current circumstance. And I believe it sets a precedent for all of us as followers of Jesus. In verse 25, it says at midnight, they begin to pray and lift up hymns to God. There's a table you prepared for me in the presence of my enemies. It's your body, the blood you shed for me. This is how I find my battles. And I believe you'll overcome. And I will lift my song up. Praise for all you've done. And this is how I find my Worship to God, 
the ground begins to shake. The walls begin to tremble. Every single chain that was attached to a prisoner begins to fall off. All the prison doors begin to open because the God of heaven meets them right there in that place, meets them right in the prison where they find themselves. There's so much hope. There's so much goodness in this moment that God in his sovereignty met them right in the midst of one of the worst, most uncomfortable situations that they could find themselves in. And it's this moment in this context that I wanna take a look at today. To synopsize this sermon, to title this chat, I wanna call this the bound and the found, the bound and the found, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for what you're already doing. Your presence is here, you're in the room. So I pray what I've been praying all week. Would you get me out of the way? I've prepped content and I've prayed and I have stuff here on the notes, but ultimately we're not here to listen to a good talk. We're not here to listen to a good speech. We're here to meet with you. So get me out of the way so that you can speak. I pray you utilize these words to speak to your church, to meet people right where they're at, even in the midst of the prison. We thank you for what you're gonna do today in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Come on, come on, amen, amen, amen. Can we give it up for Carlos? Thank him for leading us in that moment. Thank you, Carlos. I told Carlos, I said, uh, if I'm, I'm preaching, you're leading worship, you're doing something. Uh, th so thank you for allowing me to coerce you into utilizing your gifting, man, I appreciate you. Um, well, hey, uh, I love, love, love that story because I am a nerd. I know I don't look like a nerd with this physique, it's hard to tell, but I assure you, uh, I am in fact, I am in fact a nerd. I love all the nerdy things, man. I love Marvel and Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. I do draw the line at Twilight, but if you're here, I respect you, all right? Where's my nerds at? Come on, where are my nerds in the room? My people, my people. Thank you for showing up today. There's not as many of us as I expected there to be, but that's okay, that's okay. Look, you guys know, um, we catch a little bit of heat from this stage, right? Pastor Tim is pretty vocal about his disinterest in all the nerdy things, but look, guys, it's okay. He doesn't get it, all right? Lord of the Rings is a story about a fellowship of friends that band together to defeat a great evil. Harry Potter is a story of a prophesied boy who would grow up to defeat an evil lord. And the force from Star Wars is literally based on the Holy Spirit. So let's just all, let's just all take this moment and intercede for Pastor Tim so that he could receive divine revelation from the Lord. But part of the reason I'm a nerd is because I love narrative. I love a good story. Come on, somebody, don't you love a good story? It leaves an impact, it leaves an impression, it leaves you asking all the right questions. And so early on, I became a nerd about narrative. I love uh, looking into all the plot devices and concepts that are out there. I love understanding what makes a good narrative great. And there's this one concept in narrative that you've probably heard about, even if you're not a nerd like me, originates from the 1940s werewolf books, and it's called The Silver Bullet, The Silver Bullet. And The Silver Bullet is essentially this in narrative. It is the only thing that works against an unrelenting enemy, but will consistently work every time. It's the only thing that works against an unrelenting enemy, but will consistently work every time. Here's the deal. 
I believe that there is a silver bullet found in the context of Acts 16. And my hope, my goal, my aim today is to be able to hand you this silver bullet that when you find yourself in the midst of the trial or the tribulation, or if you find yourself in a prison like Paul and Silas, that you would have something in your back pocket that you can pull out that is going to work for you faithfully and consistently every single time. Does that sound good? All right. So what is the silver bullet? It's this very simple phrase, give God glory, give God glory. What does that look like? That means having joy instead of self-pity or praise instead of complaint or faith instead of consigning defeat. To boil this down, synopsize this uh, premise into one easily repeatable line like preachers love to do, it's vocalizing God's involvement in the moment while acknowledging his sovereignty in the outcome. It's saying, God, I, I don't know what to do in this situation, but my eyes are on you. Or God, my finances are a mess, but I know that when I trust you with my finances, that you are faithful to provide. Or God, the doctors are saying there is no cure that there is no hope, but I know a God who is the healer. I know a God who formed the body, who can do all things through the name of Jesus, right? What are we doing? We're vocalizing God's involvement in the moment and acknowledging his sovereignty in the outcome. This is the thing that if we do this, it will work for us every single time. That regardless of the situation, regardless of what we're going through, regardless of the season or how good it looks or how bad it looks, that this is the one thing that will work every single time. But I think we need to define what work looks like, right? Because if your definition of work looks like you come out more attractive with the healing, with better cash flow, with more respectful two-year-olds, come on somebody. If that is your definition of work, then I'm sorry to say that that is not the definition that's found here in Acts 16, because I believe that there's three things that happen when we give God glory. And the first is this, when we give God glory, we make a way for the miraculous. We make a way for the miraculous. And I was intentional about this phrasing, makes a way. Because an interesting detail in, in verse 25 is that at midnight, Paul and Silas lifting up hymns and um, praying to God. And then it says, suddenly, the earthquake came, unexpectedly. They weren't ready for it. And so there's this interesting detail of they were at midnight giving God glory, but they didn't know that the miracle was coming and they weren't ready for it. So it could have happened in a minute or it could have happened in an hour. They didn't know when God was gonna do the miracle. But here's what we do know, right? We don't know God's timing, but we know that when we give him glory, it makes a runway for the miraculous to take place. That when God's people band together and begin to lift up his name over a city like San Francisco, when we begin to declare who he is and what he can do, it makes a runway for the miraculous to take place in our life. It's Bartimaeus shouting out to Jesus saying, son of David, have mercy. It's Jehoshaphat sending out the worshipers to confront the enemy with nothing but a song lyric saying, the Lord is is good and his faithfulness endures forever. It's Paul and Silas in the midst of the prison giving prayer to God and he shows up supernaturally and meets them right where they're at, even in the midst of the prison. And look, if you're here and you're in a prison today, man, I pray this gives you hope because all you have to do is give God glory and he will be faithful to show up in the midst of the prison and meet you right where you're at. He is good, he is faithful. 
But here's the thing. I would be doing you a grave disservice if I led you to believe that giving God glory only yielded a favorable outcome. Because when we give God glory, it also leads to opportunity and opposition. Opportunity and opposition. Do you guys remember how Paul and Silas got thrown into prison in the first place, right? You remember what they were doing? They were giving God glory. Let's take a look at verse 16 again. It says, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, they were going to church. We met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes and she had followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day after day after day until Paul's like, I'm ticked, I can't take this anymore, right? He gets so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. What happened? He gave God glory. Give Jesus glory in this moment. And instantly it left her. Her master's hope of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas, dragged them before the authorities. You guys know the rest of the story that takes place. They get thrown into prison. So what happened? Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They're baptizing people, right? They're seeing people declare Jesus is Lord. They're going to church. They see this same girl who's kind of been bugging them for a few days. Paul prays for her. She gets delivered, set free of demonic oppression. And almost immediately after, Paul and Silas get thrown into prison. Man, what did they do? They didn't sin. They didn't break any laws. They were simply giving God glory and it invited opposition. Well, let me say it like this. The same thing that shatters the prison can also be the thing that puts you there. And this is where I think the Western church gets it wrong a little bit of the time is because we tend to put a lot of focus and emphasis on the good promises that God has. You notice that a little bit about us? We tend to talk about the prosperity and the blessing and the healing and all of the other good promises in scripture. And look, those things are great, right? We believe those things here. But what we tend to do is we put an emphasis and a focus on those and we forget to talk about the opportunity that's found in opposition. And so we begin to form a theology that's void of this very opportunity. And then when we face opposition, instead of seeing the opposition for what it is, an opportunity, we begin to question God's character. I'm going to say things like, God, if you're so good, why am I still struggling with depression and anxiety and suicide? God, if, if you're the provider, man, if you've got it all, why haven't the finances come in? Why hasn't there been provision? God, if, if you can heal, why am I still suffering with this sickness and disease? We've lost sight of the opportunity that's found in opposition. And so how do we take advantage of the opportunity? Well, I'm glad you asked. We do exactly what we've been talking about all morning. We give God glory. So wait, we give God glory to then face the opposition to then give God more glory? Exactly. That's exactly what happens because he's gonna produce something in you. Check out what James has to say about this. I love uh, his, his first chapter here in verse two, he gets right into it. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it what? An opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Look, church, He's producing something in you. 
He's producing a faith that will endure, a faith that is so resolute that when the storm comes, when the trial and the tribulation hits, you will not be phased. You will not be phased and, and, and fall victim to what is happening. You will know that there is a God in heaven who is for you, not against you, that you can call out to in the midst of the prison, in the midst of the trial. You'll have a faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. I love this moment. They're faced with a, a wicked king trying to force them to bow down to an idol. And what do they say? We're not gonna do it. Uh, and he, he's gonna throw them into a fire. And their confession of faith is, my God can, he will, but even if he doesn't, I'm still gonna believe, right? That's the type of faith that God is gonna produce in you in the midst of the prison, in the midst of the trial. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happens? They get thrown into the fire. God shows up supernaturally, meets them right there in that moment. Let me remind you, church, Paul and Silas don't see the miraculous take place if they're not in the prison, right? Would it have still happened? Maybe, but they wouldn't have been there to see it. So what prison are you in today? What prison do you find yourself in? Maybe it's a prison that you created. Maybe it's a prison that doesn't feel justified like Paul and Silas. My hope is that will you see the opportunity in it because he is going to use it to produce something in you. And look, if you're here and you're like, man, I'm ready to tap out. I've been in this prison for far too long. I can't take it anymore. Let me just encourage you with the words of Jesus. This is one of my favorite passages in scripture. It's John 16, It says, in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. The word of Jesus. And that's encouraging because Jesus already knew that you'd be in a prison. Jesus already knew you'd be facing some stuff. Jesus already knew you'd be weathering some storms. But this is what he has to say about it. He says, but take heart, be encouraged for I, Jesus, have overcome the world. Here, this is the reason why this is encouraging is because he didn't say you would overcome the world. He didn't say your pastors would overcome the world. He said, I, Jesus, have overcome the world. And so church, we have a name that we can call on that has authority over everything where sickness has to bow, demons have to flee. Everything has to bow to the name of Jesus. And look, even if we don't see him do it, even if we call out on his name and we don't see an answer in our time, we already know the end of the story. Jesus already conquered death in the grave. Our eternity is spoken for so we can face the present trial and circumstance with faith in knowing where our eternity ends. Amen? Come on. When we give God glory, there's opportunity in opposition. But in the midst of the opposition, there's one more thing that takes place. When we give God glory, there's an invitation extended into eternity, an invitation extended into eternity. And this is the part, I, I get a little emotional thinking about this part because it, it hits me every single time. So we see Paul and Silas are in the midst of the prison, right? Giving God glory, supernatural freedom earthquake takes place, breaks all the chains, all the doors open. And yet something interesting happens. Nobody moves. Nobody leaves the prison, right? And so I have to ask myself this question. Who is this miracle for? Who is it for? If it's not for the guys giving God glory, then why does this miracle exist in the first place? God doesn't waste his time with frivolous things like that. So who is it for? It's for the jailer. Check this out in verse 26 says, suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke to see the prison doors wide open 
He had assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, ran down into the dungeon, fell down trembling. This hardened soldier fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Come on. That's worth a clap, yeah. If we rewind just a few verses, don't we see the jailer bring Paul and Silas into the prison? Isn't it the jailer that literally shackles their feet to the dungeon, right? For all intents and purposes, isn't the jailer the antagonist of our narrative? Isn't he the oppressor of the gospel? And yet this miracle that God does is for him. Right? Isn't this the essence of the gospel that while we were still sinners, while we all fell short of God's glorious standard, that he sent his son to make a way so that we could be made righteous, so that we could be in relationship with the Father? This is the beauty of this moment, right? This is the essence of the gospel. And here's the point with this for you and for me, is that sometimes the miracle isn't for us. Sometimes we give God glory and it makes a way for the miraculous to take place. But the miracle that God is doing is an invitation for somebody else to step into eternity. And look, I remember moments in my life where I was the jailer, moments in my life where I was the oppressor of the gospel and my own self-righteousness and arrogance, and there were people surrounding me who gave God glory, even in the midst of their prison, even in the midst of their difficult situation, they gave God glory. I remember my, my group leader and my youth pastor and my mom, they gave God glory. And what happened? It extended an invitation to me to meet with Jesus. And look, if you're here and you would say you're distant, you would say you do not have a relationship with God. I just wanna take a minute and remind you that God sent two of his boys into the prison to give him glory so that a jailer that had nothing to do with him up until that point could meet him and encounter his supernatural love and his grace. He is the God who leaves the 99 to go after the one that isn't home yet. Jesus describes him as the father who saw the prodigal far off and ran to meet him and wrap a robe and put a ring on his finger. Man. That is the God we serve. And I pray that as we, the church, have given God glory today, that you would sense his love and his grace and his mercy and his invitation extended to you today. Church, when we give God glory, we make a way for the miraculous. We create opportunity and opposition, and we extend invitations into eternity. But there's one last thing that I think we need to discuss in this text before we conclude. And band, you guys can come to the stage. If I'm surveying this text and I'm looking at all the stuff, I'm like, man, that's good content. <sighs> the best content. Wow. So good. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. <sighs> Appreciate the affirmation. But if I'm, I'm reading through this and I put myself with Paul and Silas in the prison, 
I'm confronted with something because if I'm bloody and bruised and beaten and shackled to a dungeon and it smells bad, can I be honest with you, if it smells bad, that's not a good time. If I'm in the prison with them, I don't know if I could have the confession to give God glory in that moment, right? In my human nature and in who I am, I don't know if I would have the capacity to give God glory, let alone see what God is doing in that moment with the jailer. In fact, if God opens the prison doors and all the shackles fall off, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Look at what you've done for your servant. Peacing out. So the question I think we have to ask ourselves is, how is Paul able to give God glory in the midst of such a difficult situation, such a difficult circumstance? Well, I believe it's because Paul was bound before he ever stepped foot in the prison. There's this word for prisoner. It's in this text in Acts 16. It's called desmios. It means bound in bonds, a captive, a prisoner. Pretty straightforward, proper use of the word. But what's interesting about this word is this is the exact same word that Paul uses to describe himself and his relationship with Jesus. Check this out in Ephesians and in Timothy. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, right? And Timothy says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Paul uses this, this powerful imagery, right? To say that, hey, wherever I am going, I am a prisoner of Christ. Wherever I am going, he comes with me. I cannot, I literally can't go anywhere without taking Jesus with me because I am bound to him. Paul can't enter a conversation without Jesus being there. Paul can't be in a prison without Jesus being present in the midst. Paul can't minister to somebody without knowing that Jesus is right next to him, right? This is why I think Paul is able to give God glory. So here's the question for you, for me. So what are we bound to today? What are you bound to today? Let me ask it like this, and I apologize in advance because this is a double negative, and that's a no-no in grammar. What can't you not take with you? What's coming with you, regardless of if you mean it to or not? What's the chip on your shoulder? What's finding its way into the conversation, whether you mean to, whether you, whether you mean it to or not? And look, this doesn't have to be sin, doesn't have to be an addiction. Maybe this is your job, your career, your identity. Maybe this is a relationship. Maybe it's a mindset, a fear, an anxiety. Maybe it's a political persuasion. Come on, somebody. Maybe it's a sports team. Who knows? But what are you bound to today? Because here's the deal. I don't think that we can utilize the silver bullet. I don't think that we're able to give God glory in the midst of the prison, in the midst of the difficult season, if we are not bound to the person of Jesus. If he's not coming with us in every single situation. I don't think we can make a way for the miraculous or find the opportunity in the opposition or extend an invitation into eternity. So how do we get bound to Jesus today? I think there's some practicals, right? If you're not in a group, find a group. If you're not reading your Bible, start reading your Bible. If you're not praying, start praying. I think it's simple. If you don't know how to do any of those, ask somebody about First 40, they'll help you out. But I do think that there is a spiritual implication here. And here's what we're gonna do at the end of this service. We're gonna conclude by going back into this moment in the prison. And here's what I believe is gonna happen. 
as we begin to give God glory as the church, I think in the same way physical chains fell off of prisoners, that anything that you are bound to today is gonna fall off and there's gonna be an invitation for you to be bound to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Before we do that, before we conclude, there's another invitation that we have to extend. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and bow your heads with me. And if you're here, and as we've been giving God glory, you sense His love, His grace, His mercy, and you can sense an invitation being extended to you. You would say you have the same confession as the jailer, saying, what must I do to be saved? Bible's really clear. All you have to do is confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart. That's it. That's all it takes. And so we're gonna do that together as a church, as a community, as a body of believers. But before we do that, if you're here and that's you and this invitation is for you, I would love to know who I'm praying for. So if you wouldn't mind lifting your hand, just making eye contact with me, let me know that you're here. Wave at me until I see you. I see you right there. Thank you so much. Right there, I see you right there, I see you right there. Thank you. Man, I'm so excited for you. Is there anybody else? I'll wait for just a moment right here, right here. Come on, bro. His grace and His love and His mercy is for you today. Here's the deal, we're gonna pray this out together as a church, say, Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe you died and rose again. And today, I am making a decision to follow you. Help me to grow in your grace and lead me in your ways until I see you in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we celebrate with those that made that decision? Incredible. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we wanna pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church, and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.